welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, mom and teacher Lydia Smith joins us to bravely share her story on how she blew the whistle on what she calls New Mexico's cult-like mentality surrounding transgender education after her son began identifying as a girl. From fellow educators in the state to the medical professionals she dealt with while supporting her son's mental health challenges, she's sounding the alarm that there is no way to opt out of institutionalized indoctrination. It's really a scary warning for all parents, eye-opening to say the least, and I think it's such an important conversation to have. Lydia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today. And I want to let our listeners and viewers know that Lydia Smith is not your real name and you aren't showing your face on camera today for privacy reasons. I think all of us understand why and want to thank you for sharing your story. So thank you for being willing to do so. Absolutely. And thank you for understanding. It's been one of the challenges of getting an alternate viewpoint out is so many of us who disagree with this ideology still want to protect the privacy and the dignity of our kids. And there isn't really any way to speak out and do that at the same time. And I I know we're going to get into your son's story. Does your son know that you do talk about this? Absolutely not. Um, I'm hiding out in the car right now so that he doesn't know what I'm doing. Um, One of the struggles that parents in my situation have is how to support our children and speak out about this. Uh, without violating or worsening the relationship, because one of the ways that this ideology affects the family is it puts a wedge between the parent and the child, where the child is told if the parent doesn't support all of the steps that they want to take to quote unquote, affirm this identity, that it means we're abusive, that it means we don't love them. And that ends up creating even more mental distress in our children. Yeah. Well, why don't we back up a little bit and just learn a little bit about you and your family. Um, Tell us about your spouse, your son, if you have any other children. What type of upbringing did your son have? Yeah. So we're kind of a normal family in a lot of ways. The one exception would be my husband and I both have advanced degrees in science. So we're skeptical by nature, and we also have a pretty deep understanding of biology and medicine and chemistry. So, you know, we have always had family dinners. Um, I've always tried to prioritize my kids. They've gone to private school here in New Mexico because the public schools here are not great. We value education very highly. But, you know, we're kind of a normal family, kind of um, not really red or blue. If you want to go down that road, Uh, we both been I've been a registered independent voter for years and years. Um, Same with my husband. We have other family that lives here in New Mexico. We are pretty close to them. So in in a lot of ways, we've just had a very normal, regular all-American family in in every way that you can think of. So when this came out of the blue for us, it was absolutely a huge shock. I'm sure. I'm sure. And so at what age did your son tell you or did you start noticing that he was struggling with mental health? Well, we saw that he was getting a little bit withdrawn 
and angry when he was about 14 years old. But that's pretty normal. Teenager, right? You just think, okay, it's this awkward phase. Exactly. And I'm a high school teacher. So I've been a high school teacher for many years. I mean, this is kind of par for the course. You know, they get to that age, puberty hits, and they start getting angry and reclusive and wanting to spend time with their friends. So we were keeping an eye on it. But then COVID hit. So when COVID hit, New Mexico shut down really hard. Everything was closed down. You couldn't even go to the park. You weren't even supposed to walk around your neighborhood. So we were isolated. I do have other kids. And my entire family was isolated inside of our house together nonstop. There was no relief. So when he got even angrier and more frustrated, that was also really understandable. He that was when he was 14. Uh, he had a birthday during this time, and then he went back to school, but it was all remote. So everybody in my family was going to school remote, including me as the teacher. We were all doing remote school, and he was getting more and more angry, more and more withdrawn, more and more um, just isolated in his room, wouldn't come out online constantly. When it was really bad, he was online 14 hours a day. And, you know, because everything was shut down, we were really at war with ourselves on what to do, because this was the only way for him to communicate with his friends, with his teachers. So he finally told us that he believed that he was transgender in the fall of that year. And we're pretty sure he did it because parent teacher conferences were coming up. And I think he was afraid that his secret was going to come out. So I don't honestly know when he started identifying it, but it was somewhere uh, between the COVID shutdowns and November of next year. So was this a sit down family meeting? Was this said in passing? Was he telling you by yourself or you and your husband together? What did you think? Well, I was alone when he told me I was just getting ready to start a teaching session. So I didn't really have a lot of time to talk to him about it. And he just walked in and he said, "Um, I need to tell you something. I am non-binary. I took a quiz in my health whatever club thing it was the gay it's not gay straight alliance anymore it's gender and sexuality club which we did not know he was attending he had taken some sort of a quiz it showed that he was a certain percentage female and a certain percentage male and that he wanted to be called a new name and that he was more girl than boy and honestly i couldn't understand a lot of what he was saying because it was just really like just so rapid fire And I was just in shock. So I gave him a hug and I said, is this why you've been so withdrawn and upset lately? And he said, yes. And I said, we will figure this out together. Um, I love you. You're a good person. And I'm going to talk to your dad and we'll figure out what to do next. And so I just kind of put a pin in it so I could get my bearings about it. Yeah. So I told my husband. And yeah, it just was, it was just crazy. And so as far as this club that your son was part of, 
In addition, was he looking on TikTok and being part of different groups online where he would talk with people who were going through these same questions that he was having? Do you think there was an online influence more than just online schooling influence? Yeah, I do think that there was. Um, we are pretty, my husband especially is pretty tech savvy. We had things locked down pretty well, but there were certain things that were not locked down due to online school. So he had to have access to YouTube. He had to have access to Discord. Um, he had to have access to, there was another one. I don't remember the other one, but there was something else. And we um, went through all those because we had all of his logins and we have modem control. And so we went through everything. We didn't find a lot of online stuff with the exception of what his friend group was passing around. Mm. So from what we can tell, this was all kind of a little, <laughs> a little group of friends. And we had later found out that out of his group of about 35 kids, 25 of them were identifying as some sort of an alternate gender. And some of those kids did not have the parental controls that we did at our house. And so I think a lot of this was passed around through this little group of teenagers. And a lot of them were involved in this club at school. One of the things I think is so interesting about what he shared with you is that they took this quiz. How, yeah. how, boy are you versus how much like a girl are you? And I know when I was growing up, I was called a tomboy, but you were still a girl. You just like sports and, That's you know, right. it, it. it's interesting to me that we are now saying like we went from that era of girls can do whatever they want. You know, they can be in the workplace to now actually identifying characteristics with a gender, which seems to go against what we've taught kids, right? Absolutely. And that's part of the reason why I think it's so important for all different types of families to speak up about this, because there is a bit of a misperception about the type of families that get pulled into this. One of the things I've started telling people is it's not a certain type of family or a certain way that you've raised your kids that make your uh, kid get pulled into. It's a certain kind of a kid. So I can tell you that I took the quiz, uh, at least as close as I could find to it. There were several in his history. I took one of the quizzes he had used and it said I was 80% male. Um, so obviously I'm not a very feminine woman according to these quizzes. It's all rather silly. I agree with you. But we did not raise our kids with these strict, you have to do these things because you're a girl and you have to do these things because you're a boy. I was very much the kind of parent, as was my husband, you can pursue whatever interests you. It, it's not determined by your sex. If you're a boy who wants to dance, that's great. If you're a girl who wants to dig holes in the mud, that's great. You can do whatever you want. So I, when, he, when he did this, it was, it was really, really uh, just dis destabilizing sure. to see that he had bought into this idea that because he felt that he had personality traits that were girl, which I don't really even understand what that is. Cause I was right. raised the same you were that he needs to modify his body. He needs to modify his body to match the percentage of girl. He is 
that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Right. And so I'm assuming you then share with your husband, what did your husband say? And then how did you approach your son as you tried to process this with him and help him with this? Well, my husband at first didn't take it very seriously. Uh, he's not involved in education the way I am. So he didn't really see the things I'd been seeing. I had told him stuff. He's just kind of, yeah, this sounds like crazy things, you know? So he sat down and talked with him. And after he finished talking with him, he told me that it was a lot more serious than he thought. And so we tried really hard to figure out what to do. So the first thing, of course, anyone does anymore is they Google it. And so we Googled what we were supposed to do. And you're bombarded with all of this information that you have to affirm your kid is going to uh, hurt themselves. You have to affirm so that they know that you love them. So that's what we did at first. We didn't say, yes, you're definitely a girl. Let's take you to the doctor. But we tried the new name, even though it made me sick. Uh, We never used different pronouns, but we just avoided them completely. That's still what we're doing. But we noticed that the more we didn't push back, the more that we kind of acted like we were going along with it, the worse he got. Mm. He started um, cutting. He started restricting his eating. And we later found out it's because that's what all of the kids in this same group were doing. So they had kind of a little pact going on with each other. And that this was a way that they had learned from online that you could get your parents to take you to the gender clinic and start you on hormones. And what we observed through the chat messages that we saw is that these kids think that these are magic pills that are going to make them somehow transform into an from an awkward unhappy, full of angst teenager that is normal because everyone feels that way to some sort of a beautiful butterfly that that you're going to find this miraculous true self. And to me, that is that is very magical thinking. And that is not how we operate. And nobody should take medicine thinking it's magical because that's not how it works. So we said no to the medicine and that's when things really went downhill and he started really acting out. Um, We've had a psychiatric hospitalization. He's run away several times. He's accused us of abuse to anybody who will listen to him for more than five minutes. Our extended family has been completely polarized with the ones who believe that we're abusive and the ones who think that we're not doing enough. And the ones, well, and I guess there's a third group as well. He's just like, I don't know what to tell you to do. Those are the ones I appreciate the most. The ones who just hug you and listen. (laughs) Yeah. Let me cry. Yeah. But we've lost friends. Um, We cannot openly talk about this to anybody because we don't know how they're going to react. But the scariest part has been when he has involved the police, the medical establishment and the therapy community into what he's calling abusive. And we've, we've had to deal with those people. So let's talk about the abuse allegations and how that plays into parental rights. So obviously no parent has the right to abuse their child. So he's making these false claims, but there's also a parental rights aspect to this. And 
every state has different laws on this and whether or not a parent can say whether or not this child can take different cross-sex hormones, medical treatments, et cetera. How did he get the police involved, first of all, and how have you dealt with that? And then we'll get to the medical side. So the police got involved because he made some threats of self-harm to this online chat group he was involved with. One of the other kids reported it and the police came to our house and took him to the psychiatric hospital. The kid did the right thing. I'm not upset with the kid. I do think that now looking back, this was several years ago, this was an attempt to manipulate the situation by him. I don't think it was that serious. I'm not saying cutting isn't serious. It's obviously serious, but it was definitely, he took pictures and posted it online and said, you know, look how desperate I am. My parents won't let me um, get on cross-sex hormones and all this kind of stuff. So once he was put into the psychiatric hospital, the first set of child psychologists that we saw said, yeah, he's really uh, got some very strange black and white thought processes. And we're like, okay, we can work with this person. But then he, he, by the second day, he was on a several day hold. By the second day, he had been transferred over to a transgender identified psychologist or psychiatrist. And at that point, we started feeling a lot of pressure to be good people uh, the way that they thought good people would act, which means you know, we were not allowed to call him by his given name, even to his elderly relatives who didn't understand any of this that was going on. Um, we were not allowed to refer to him as he, even to a doctor, when we were discussing medical treatments. Um, what would they? What would the doctor say if you, let's say, slipped up? Maybe it was inadvertent, and you said he. Would they correct you? They would say that we needed to start coming to terms with the fact we didn't have a son mm. so i felt it was very judgmental that's um, so painful it was and it, and it was condescending it was extremely condescending <laughs> ironically it touches back on this previous part that we talked about these gendered expectations that they're embracing I got a lecture from the doctor about how I needed to let go of the idea that I was going to see my son married off to a woman and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, you don't know me well enough to know whether or not that's a vision I have. That's a very stereotypical thing that you're saying. You don't, you know, and they're talking about you maybe won't have grandchildren and this. I'm thinking what you're jumping to step 22 out of five steps, you know, we, I don't even know why you're bringing this up, but there was those kind of pressures. We got the, you, it's better to have a live daughter than a dead son. Oh want that. Um, but what saved me is my, my son has a, and I'm going to, I'm going to be very vague on this for privacy reasons, but he has a serious medical condition and it is hormone dependent. So once I brought up this medical condition and said, you know, I'm really not comfortable with the idea of exacerbating this medical condition by introducing cross-sex hormones, suddenly there was a lot of backtracking. Oh, I've never heard of this before. Oh, I didn't know that this was going to be a problem. And I'm thinking, this is interesting. So you're pushing it until I have a lawsuit <laughs> valid reason to say no. And suddenly, 
you know, now, now this is a little bit different. So that's how the police got involved. We had a social worker that was dealing with our family for a while. My son was accusing us of a variety of different abusive things, mostly that centered around us refusing to get him cross-sex hormones, refusing to refer to him as our daughter, refusing to, um, you know, let him basically do whatever he wanted. <laughs> One of the things he brought up that was, a, he said was abusive is we had restricted his internet usage after the hospitalization. And remember, <laughs> all of this was happening in a very short period of time. So we'd restricted his internet usage to school hours, and then he got an additional two hours after school. Um, did, and- did you have, I, I'm hoping that either the police or the social worker or some people realized this is not abuse. Well, yeah, that that's what really saved us because <laughs> when they said, well, he, he, you know, she, they kept saying she, I'm going to say he, um, he keeps saying that you're preventing him from contacting his friends, that you're locking him down, that you're not giving him freedom. And I said, we have restricted his internet usage. And they said, well, to how much? I said, well, he's in school six and a half hours a day. So he's free access then. And he gets an additional two hours. And they said, okay, well, how much was he spending before? And I said, he was spending at least 14 hours a day. And suddenly it was, oh my goodness, that is not the same story. And I said, well, I can show you the logs. We keep track of that. Oh my goodness, that is not what we've been told. I said, well, I don't think you're getting accurate information, you know? And then at that point, the social worker said, well, he is the most extreme black and white thinker I've ever Mm. contact with in my, uh, career. And I said, yeah, that's with the medical professional. So we're we're talking about serious stuff when we're talking about self-harm, cutting, suicide claims. Was there any other type of treatment they offered besides cross-sex hormones? Or was it just, you need to become a girl. That's how you solve this. I saw um, a paper that he had written during his hospital stay. It was in a notebook, a reflection notebook. And the entire thing was full of first, I'm going to get my name changed. Then I'm going to get a whole new wardrobe. Then I'm going to get my ears pierced. Then I'm going to learn how to apply makeup. Then I'm going to get on cross-sex hormones and get my own breasts. But he used a crude term there. And then I'm going to be happy. And I thought, that seems to be, that's what he talked about there. There was nothing else in that notebook except the steps to be a girl. So they gave me the name of a therapist to take him to. That was part of our release conditions to get him out of the psychiatric unit. And it was to a gender, a, a gender therapist. It wasn't to like a emotionally regulating therapist. It wasn't to... Yeah. You'd Mental health like, therapist yeah. of some sort, yeah, right? Cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectic behavioral therapy. There's some really good therapies out there for kids who are self-harming and have, you know, flirting with eating disorders and things. None of that. It was too very clearly a transition letter signing gender therapist that was associated with the transgender resource center. So we did not take him to that therapist. We found our own therapist. Um, the therapist that we found was a gay, very affirming, very liberal therapist. And my son still got fired from therapy because he refused to participate because the therapist said that 
he was there to provide therapy, not to prove his parents were abusive because we would not give him hormones. And so at that point, you know, he, he just quit going. We, we continued to go, my husband and I, to just get a better handle on how to handle things. And it was helpful, but, you know, the therapists, the doctors, even the ones who have agreed with us that this isn't the right decision for him, they are very hesitant hmm. to say that to him. So it's very much felt like every time we've gone in alone, they're saying, yeah, he's not stable. Yeah, he's not, he's not making good decisions. Um, and then when he comes in the room, it's, you know, it's up to your parents and they've decided this isn't the right thing for you. And they've decided this. And so it's been, it's felt very undermining because we don't have, we're the bad guys. We're always the bad guys. And I'm willing to be the bad guy to protect my son and to keep him safe. I am willing to be the bad guy, but the whole system is set up so that the parents are the persecutors in this whole situation. And even the therapists and the doctors that have agreed with us privately do not want to, even in front of my son, be the ones to say, you know what? I agree with your parents. This isn't a good choice for you. It's, it's utterly shocking and heartbreaking. Were you ever fearful that you could get your other kids taken away, get your son taken away because of these abuse accusations and because you were pushing back on the, the hormones that he said he wanted and some doctor said he should have? Absolutely. Yeah. So I have a much younger child. Um, at the time that this all happened, she was not even in kindergarten. So she's much younger. And that was part of the plan that he and his little friends had come up with was to force us to get him on hormones by accusing us of abusing her. And we have had to really walk a fine line there um, to not disrupt her life any more than it's been disrupted, but also to keep her safe from her big brother who wants to use her as a pawn in this crazy ideology that he's gotten involved with. So yeah, that those threats were made by him to the social worker when he was in the hospital. The social worker did not believe him because the specific things he was, was saying didn't make any sense. Um, it, it wasn't a cohesive story. And so that didn't really go anywhere. But there was a little while where I was really, really worried about it because he was trying very hard to convince a variety of different people that we were not abusing him, we were abusing her. And the way we were treating him was just another example of us being abusive. So that was something specifically yeah. that that did happen. We were very, very worried about it, extremely worried. Now, how old is your son today? And what has the process been like since, I mean, you kept pushing against the cross-sex hormones. Did he take those at any point and I believe he's 18 now, so he's Correct. of age. Where is he today on, on what he would refer to, I'm sure, as his journey? <laughs> We're not sure. The The way we've dealt with it, um, based off of a lot of the different parents I've spoken to and the therapists that we were seeing as a couple, we don't talk about this with him. This is a hot button issue, and he is fully immersed in this. He seems to be doing a lot better in certain ways, which is another reason why I'm staying anonymous. I want him to continue in the direction that he's going. 
he has graduated from high school. I do not see any indication or he is graduating from high school. I should say he's, he's finished everything, but you know, there's time still. Um, I don't see any indication that he's taken cross sex hormones, although he would be allowed to because he's over 18. He seems to be growing out of it a little bit. The anger towards us isn't there as much anymore. Um, he's participating more in family life. He's making plans for after graduation. So these are all really good signs. The way that my husband and I have dealt with it is we have followed the advice that we got from a therapist that said, don't attack it head on, attack it from the side. Mm -hmm. so that's what we've been doing. We've been bringing up other medical situations where they were very popular and it, it turned out to be the wrong thing. We've talked about the influence of big pharma in politics and had those discussions around the dinner table. We've talked about social contagions, although I don't use that word because that's now a hot button word, but I've talked, we've talked about group think and he's very much adopted a lot of the social justice victimhood narrative that's out there. So we've talked a lot about, you know, how polarizing politics are right now and how it's really difficult to get accurate information about any candidates anymore. You know, so all these things from the side, trying to encourage critical thinking, trying to just point out, you know, like one of the things we've done is we've said, wow, I really felt strongly about this particular position, but I read this article and now I'm rethinking my position. I think I might've been wrong. Wow, it's sure hard to be wrong when you thought you were right. But I think that's an important thing to do. So we've been doing <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think it's helping because we're just trying to loosen up that extreme black and white thinking that not only plagues our son, but from the interactions I've had with other parents in our situation. This is a very, very common problem with all of these kids that are getting pulled into this belief system. Now, I know you weren't prepared to deal with this. Um, yeah. This isn't something, a, a book that you read when you're ready to have kids, yeah. what to expect when you're expecting, you know, it's, it's not, there's not a manual that they give you no. for this. Looking back, so we have a lot of parents listening to this, some who may just be fearful where yeah. society is going and, and what kids are being told. What did you do right? And what did you do wrong? And I know every child is going to be different, but what would you say the main takeaways are? Well, that's a question that has plagued me for over mm -hmm. three years now. The things that I can feel pretty confident that we did right was we focused 100% on maintaining a relationship with our son, even when it got really, really, really hard to do so. That has always been my primary goal is, is this going to help or hurt the relationship that I'm trying to maintain with my son? Um, I think also a thing that we did right was we said no to the hormones. It, it would have been so easy just to say yes, especially with all of the threats and all of the public pressure that we were getting from outside our family and within our family. That would have been a really easy thing to do. And I feel 100% confident that we did the right decision there by saying no. In terms of things that we did wrong, I think the biggest one was just not being aware that this was something that could touch our family. My husband and I had the belief that because we loved our kids, because we were a strong family, 
we had dinner together, we prioritized our kids, we talked to our kids, we were really close to our kids. We thought that our family couldn't be touched by this. So we didn't really think about having this type of discussion with our family of that there are people out there who are going to tell you that I even say it now and I can't say it without laughing. There are people out there who tell you because you're a gentle person who doesn't like sports, that you're not a boy, that you're a girl. Those people are wrong and they're trying to sell you drugs and they're trying to make you believe in an ideology, which isn't true. Like who thinks that they have to say that to their kid? You can bet that I'm saying that to my youngest. Absolutely. So that would be the biggest thing is just not having it on our radar and thinking our family was immune because we were a strong, loving, intact nuclear family who was keyed into our kids. And And I think, yeah, yeah, I think this brings up then the last angle I want to discuss with you is the influence of education. So I know you you are a former public school teacher. You talked about the school group being maybe the, the most important influence on your son in yeah. making these decisions for himself or what he thought about himself, his, his identity. What have you learned about the education system? And you have said, I've read some stuff that you've, you've written and that you've spoken on. You say you can't opt out. What have oh. you learned? Oh, well... The first thing I would say is I would say the majority of teachers and parents and even other students, the majority of them don't believe this and they don't agree with it, but they're scared to speak out. All it takes is one bully. And I do believe that these people are bullies. It takes one self-righteous virtue signaling bully to completely take over a school or a district. You only need one or two. And everyone else becomes completely terrified of them because they do wield a crazy amount of power in our current climate. They are able to get things automated that people didn't know was even on the table to be changed. So one example is that in the job that I have now, they have made a portal for students to be able to go in and change their name so that they can change their name to whatever they want. They call this, um, you know, a safety issue. They say it's a safety issue so that kids aren't outed. And so they can just go in and change their name and their pronouns and nobody will ever know what their real name is. Nobody will ever. Okay. And you think, well, that's not a big deal, right? That that's just being nice. Well, is it though? Because now it's been automated. And so you don't have a choice anymore. They're taking away people's choices. And they don't tell the parents, I'm assuming. So parents don't even know this is happening. No, they don't. Yeah. Um, So, so that, that would be one way these clubs that they have, I believed that we had gay straight Alliance. I would be fine in a lot of ways with gay straight Alliance. I'm rethinking that position to speak of, you know, changing your mind about things. I've now come to the belief that there's just no reason to have any kind of sexuality clubs at school at all. I was a little bit more, I guess, open-minded, I guess, let's say about that before. I thought, you know, these kids are lonely. They need support. They feel cast out. What's the wrong with having them be in a club where they feel like they're accepted? Now, I don't think that those clubs are so good anymore. Um, But they've changed those clubs to be gender and sexuality clubs. And so they don't talk about 
you know, it's okay to be you and it's okay to be gay and you can just be whoever you are and you're wonderful and fabulous. It's let's see what gender you are. Let's see what your weird, like, I don't, the, the sexualities that they pick from now are not gay straight by right. they're they're strange things that are not real um they come up with all the different flags it, it's like a role-playing club now but with their bodies which is something that i didn't really understand that's that's something that's taken over schools and then the last thing i would say that i've learned is that the counselors in the schools are a source of a lot of this the counselors and the school nurses and they they feel the opposite of obligated to tell parents with what with what's going on with their kids they feel it's their duty their virtuous duty to keep that information private so like with my son he had been self-harming for a while and nobody at the school thought to tell us even though they had a, a they knew they knew that the group of kids he was involved with were in some sort of a strange self-harm pact. Hmm. So there's a lot there where you have individuals in the schools who do not feel that the parents should be notified if the kid doesn't want them notified. And that is a problem. That is absolutely a problem because I'll tell you who didn't have to go and sit with him in the hospital when the police took him away. And that was anybody at school. Nobody sat with him in the hospital from school. That was me. Nobody had to deal with the social workers. Nobody had to have their house inspected for him to come home. Nobody from the school had to do that. That was the parents. We have the responsibility to make sure that these kids are safe. And they're able to feel really good about themselves for doing the opposite of helping and say, well, I did the right thing because you might be abusive. They're the ones who are abusive. Because yeah. they're separating kids from their parents. They are agreeing with the child that your parent wants to harm you. And that's why we're going to keep a secret together. And I know that the term grooming gets thrown around a lot. And people are saying that it's being weaponized. And that you're saying that these people are pedophiles. That's not what's being said. This is a form of grooming. When you tell a child that their parent doesn't have their best interest at heart. And I'm the person that you can trust. And I'm the person who will keep your secret. And I'm the person you can come to. That's what grooming is. And that is not healthy for a child. And it's not healthy for a family. And that is not appropriate for any kind of a professional who deals with children to do. And I say that as a teacher, we were told specifically when I went through teacher training, that that was a line you never crossed. And I do not understand where that boundary got removed either. Well, I just want to say on behalf of the audience listening to this, I want to thank you for speaking out. And I'm sorry for the heartache that you've been through, that your son has been through, your whole family. But you bravely speaking out and with such conviction and some such clarity. And, and I really do agree with you. It takes that one bully. I think so many people in schools, teachers and parents think just like you. Yes. But or feel there's no recourse. They can't speak up. They can't say anything. So the more that people like you speak out, I think it helps so many other parents. So Lydia, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story. And we'd love to have you back on later on just to see where things are with your son. We wish him the best. Thank you so much. And yeah. that's why I'm speaking out. I think that the more people that know that they're not alone in thinking that this is wrong, and 
that they don't have to just go along with it. Yeah. There are more of us who understand how dangerous there is than there are of the bullies. So someday I hope to be able to show my face and I hope that my, my son will um, understand that I would do anything for him. And we will be here when and if you're ready to show your face. We would love to talk to him as well. Thank you. And yeah. thank you again so much for having me. Absolutely. Have places to speak out, not just to be willing to speak out. Yeah. Well, thank you again. And thank all of you for listening to us. I want to let you know that before you go, IWF does rely on the generosity of supporters like you and investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. So please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting IWF.org backslash donate. That is IWF.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review. It does help. And we'd love it if you shared this episode so your friends can know where they can find more She Thinks. From all of us here at IWF, thanks for watching. Mm -hmm.